We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, it was not such a happy end to the old year, though, for the Lakers. Lakers go 3-8 and eight after the in-season tournament, wrapping up uh, what everybody on the road would describe as a grueling December. But D, every team has stretches like this, and we did not handle it well. And now the Lakers team sits at 17-17. and 17. Uh, 500 record is the definition of average. And I think that's an appropriate uh, description of this Lakers team. This has been an average basketball team so far with both LeBron and AD playing very well. And being average is nowhere near the championship contender status that the Lakers wanted to reach. And so we're going to talk about that a bit today. And so I leave it to you. The couple of games this weekend had a uh, tough matchup against Minnesota that we dropped that <laughs> that three by LeBron, man. Uh, no need to get into that. We all we all saw that. But uh, And then not a very good game at all against New Orleans. And so, yeah, uh, opening it up to you, my man. Lakers are an average basketball team. And I want to talk about the reasons why. Really quickly, Zooming in just on those two games, I thought the Minnesota game was an admirable game. LeBron was not healthy. He was sick, basically, and they were down a couple of rotation guys. And how are you going to go into the arena of the team that has the top record in the conference and beat them? And I thought the Lakers put on a very similar effort to the one that they played against the Wolves just 10 days previously, where AD carried them and they just didn't have enough down the stretch. I thought this was a very similar game. The Lakers probably had no real shot of winning the game until that dumb technical foul sort of gave them right. that extra point which set up that whole sequence, which we won't get into here. The game against New Orleans, I thought, was basically a schedule loss. Second night of a back-to-back, playing on New Year's Eve. A pretty far travel, too, for like an overnight Minnesota trip. Minnesota New Orleans. Yeah, they got yeah. in at like 3.30. Yeah. Yeah, so there was just a lot um, to chew on there. But I think your perspective on like zooming out is is important here just because There's a lot being made about this team having LeBron and AD as healthy as they've been and as and playing as well as they've been 
and having the record that they do. And I'd love to get into it a little bit more about like why that's actually the case. It's super simple to look at that from the perspective of, well, they should have won more because they had these guys. And I think that there's some truth to that, but how many games more I think is super debatable when you look at sort of the snake bit nature of the injuries and the availability of like so many role players and then the let's shoot ourselves in the foot with like decisions that we've made in terms of putting things together and when both those things combine it's like they grade up against each other in in a way that drags the team down and i don't know how much weight to put on each of those things in order to to discuss where the team is right now yeah i can't i can't put like a win total on oh we should have won this more many more games but i can say from watching the team till this point that they're not playing up to their potential now is their potential that of a championship team that's not really the point or not i i'm just i just believe that this team is playing under what it what it can be and i think that there there are some reasons for that with respect to injury and context and things like that but that's lower on the list for me d that like those those excuses or reasons like don't resonate with me to the same degree. And I think a lot of the reasons why are in the actual basketball. So for example, in that new Orleans game, well, actually let me, let me rewind. So to put it plainly, I think there are two things that are kind of like the main topics to me of one is a very simple, but broad and overarching is that we're bad on offense. We're like 22nd or 23rd in the league on offense right now. We're seventh. You can't win a title when you're not that good on offense. And I'd like to do a whole pod. Maybe we'll do this tomorrow on just like we're bad bad on offense. Why? What are the reasons why? And how can it get better? But that's sort of like the practical reason why. I don't think we have a ton of foot speed as well, which is another thing that I'd like to uh, talk more about. But the other thing is like, it's a cultural thing. Uh, And so there were a couple of plays in the New Orleans game that where Jose Alvarado got back tap steals on LeBron. And that's kind of Jose Alvarado's thing, right? In terms of when you're playing them, everybody knows. He has trademarked this, like basically, like if you look it up in the dictionary, but the basketball glossary dictionary thing of like, this is a play that can happen within within the game. His picture is standing right there, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. And so everyone knows and... LeBron had gotten irritated on one of them for everybody not calling out that that's what you're supposed to do at any level of basketball. That's not an uncommon type of scenario. Guy has the ball, he's dribbling up court and he's kind of surveying what's going on in front of him and deciding where the ball should go. Should I take it all the way to the rim? Should I kick it out to the corner? And when you have the ball in your hands, you're not able to run as fast as you can without it, especially when you're dribbling, right? And so there's always an opportunity for a smaller, faster player, if they're close enough, to haul ass and knock that away from behind. And that's what Alvarado does. But as your teammate on any level of basketball, you're supposed to be like, hey, look out, look at, like, you're supposed to have a call for warning the player that has the ball that this guy is coming. And nobody said anything. And you, I rebounded a couple of times on both of them. There's nobody like, hey, look out. There's, and so there's like this team and this roster has a bit of a space cadet type of uh, personality to it that goes beyond X's and O's and schemes. Like these things play into each other and that when things are not going well, these type of – like when things aren't going well, players will lose attention. They are related, but there's a certain amount of like – 
they don't have a lot of like smart vets, right? A lot of our role players are young players who are coming into their own and trying to find their their way and space in, in the league, both in terms of their next contract, but also just their role. What do I do? Like a, a guy like Cam Reddish is a 3 and D guy, ostensibly for the first time in his career in a, in a very real way. Like there's a lot of newness where there's not a lot of like experience and a lot of like veterans who know how to how to get it done. So that's one thing that stood out to me that we haven't talked a lot about. And I'm curious your thought on that is like a lot of our role players are young and the guy, the main guy who I consider is like kind of that grizzled veteran who knows what he's doing and is a pro is Gabe Vincent and he's been hurt all year. And so I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts on kind of this perspective on that. No, I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday because you had sent us a message like I'd love to get into some of these topics a little bit more. And it's funny because I always try to go back to the one team that won it all with LeBron and AD at the epicenter of the roster. And I look at that group because they actually did the thing we want every Lakers team to do, which is like, <laughs> right. they, and not just by the end result. I think that we look at the championship and like, we use that as validation of everything that came before. But if you look at everything that came before, that validated the championship more than like the opposite. So mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, yeah. mm -hmm. is like the Lakers were one of the best teams in the NBA, like all season. And the nature of some of the games that they lost very early in the season pushed their reputation down where they weren't looked at as like, if not head and shoulders above everyone else. The thing that pushes the Lakers when they're when we're good, the thing that pushes us down is people don't don't want us to be good more than anything else. Sure. But but the flip side of that is is like an early season loss to the Clippers or an early season loss to one of the other contending teams. The Bucks, Giannis hits five threes, right? Yeah. Did dent their reputation to to a certain extent, even though they had beaten everyone else. Right. And so it's just like, OK, you're you're 17 and five. Two of your losses are against like other contending teams. So that basically means you're 17 and three. Well, shouldn't that mean something? And it's just mm -hmm. like, no, it doesn't. And right. And so that's where the point that you're making goes. To it. Yeah, yeah. But the point I was going to make around that is when you look at how that team played over the course of of the season, there were several sort of signature type of wins, not against top teams, but against teams that were like bad teams. It's like, remember that night against the Bulls where everyone played like crap early during the season? Like everyone was bad. And then mm -hmm. it was like several bench performances that sort of got them back into the game. And then the Lakers ended up winning. And then there was a game against Oklahoma City where like a bunch of guys sat and then and Kuz and then, was great. And, yep. Yes. And, and, and then they ended up winning that that game. And there was a certain seriousness of purpose and of focus that those role players inherently had in them. And when you were when you were texting us yes yesterday, like I'd love to get into this a little bit more. And I, and I was thinking about it this morning. I was reminded that this team 
does not have that seriousness of role player around them. And honestly, I like Gabe Vincent. He's a perfectly good player and guy. I also wouldn't classify him in the same realm as like a Danny Green. Of course. When it, when, when it comes to oh, I'm just saying he would that. help, right? He's a guy that's yes. of that ilk. And Torian Prince is as well, right? But sort of a vet who's been through it, who can play both sides of the floor type of thing, right? Prince is, but he also isn't. <laughs> I see Prince making two or three plays a game where I'm just like, this isn't the thing that you should be doing. I'm streaking up the sideline. It's an uneven break. I'm attacking and then I'm trying to throw this cross court pass where it's just like, no, bro, you got to think things out. There's just too much of that stuff to me. I, I agree. I also think that that can be part of, to your point of like, when you look back on something and you kind of have a rose colored look at it to some degree is that like i remember many kcp plays where he's going 100 miles an hour to nowhere you know and that doesn't invalidate all the good stuff that he did right but that's just that's just part of the deal let's take a break here keep the conversation going we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, and I think that that's a fair point to make about Prince, what what you're saying. And it's like when things start to go wrong, then everything that a player does wrong is suddenly this bigger magnified idea that is symbolic of like what the team is right now. But just in general, man, like this team has too many guys who need to be organized rather than guys who bring organization. Yes, and 
I look at the 1920 team and KCP got to the point where he was also like an organizing force within the context of things. And you see it now with what he does with Denver. It's just like, hey, man, I've sprint hard. I run strong corner. I'm attacking closeouts. I come off Mm -hmm. screens tight. I like I do my job repeatedly over and over and over again. And Danny Green and Alex Caruso and later on Markeith Morris and Dwight Howard and all of these dudes were Rajon Rondo. All of these dudes were reliable within the context of their role. The only guys who fluctuated a fair amount were like Kuz to a certain extent. And Mm -hmm. and it's like JaVale. And those were the guys where it's just like, well, if they had it going, they might get extra minutes. Kuz might close a game. But if he didn't, then Mm -hmm. he wouldn't. Avery Bradley was like the same way. And even he was like reliable within the context of his role. But they had so many guys who you could look to and say, like, I expect you to do your job that when they weren't playing well on any given night, you just went to the next guy who you totally expected to do his job. And there was always another guy that was going to do his job. And this team just doesn't have enough of those guys. And you can go up and down the entire team. I also think that there's a certain degree of they don't know what their job is. Like if you listen to the sure. post game, a lot of times they're talking about like, you know, the they don't know. So a phrase that you hear a lot is we're trying to catch a rhythm. This is something that both Darvin and he says this a lot and AD said in the last game as well. And there's something about that that's passive that I don't like. Like it's you're walking along doing your thing and a rhythm comes along and you catch it, right? But no, it's the work that you do and the attention to detail that you do. And so, for example, and we'll talk more about this when we talk about our offense, but we play off of principle a lot, which is not uncommon around the NBA, but we we run set plays generally off of dead ball and and that's again that's not uncommon but we could do it more often than we do and we're a little bit more organized and better than when we do but there is a way to play off of principle in doing it well but you have to pay attention to the details of that right and so there's a play in the first quarter uh scores tie at 27 i think that there's like a minute and 5 seconds left against minnesota and delo is running a side ball screen with ad which is very common in this five out type of set most of the pick and rolls are happening on the wing these days and he runs that and it's a pocket. Uh, and so he's he's got uh, McDaniels, I think, guarding him on the ball. So he's got a big guy guarding him. And AD is rolling with, I think Gobert is still in the game at this point. It's either Gobert or Towns as the hedging guy. The point of this, though, is that there's the the baseline and the corner is wide open. And, like this is a wide open type of space. And I never see our guards like step back. Like we don't have any action that's intended to attack those open spaces, which happen all the time, kind of from the wing and below. And that's just one of really hundreds of examples of us not getting as much meat off the bone as we could when we do play off of principle. And so that idea that you said about, we have a lot of guys that need to be organized. This shows up in the net rating numbers a ton. There are a lot of guys like, you know who are, let me ask you this. You know who our most productive two-man combo is of any player that's of any duo that's played significant minutes? Who would you guess? Oh man, I would bet D'Lo is in there. Sure. No, well, actually, D'Lo's very good, especially with the with the starters, uh, which is funny because he's not in the starting lineup, right? But it's actually LeBron and Christian Wood. Ah, right? and so sure. yes, they're they're like a plus fourteen point seven or something like that in two hundred some odd minutes. If you look at LeBron's numbers with Wood, with Reddish, with Rui, those are the three players that, in terms of like needing to be organized, are kind of at the top of the list of that. That if you put them in an organized situation, 
they will be much more productive than if they're kind of left to their own devices. And But the problem is we don't have a lot of organized situations. And LeBron, offensively especially, is the one organizing force that when we play with the AD type of lineups, for example, it's so much more built off of his individual dominance than it is like a five player type of thing. But then on the other hand, we have games where, where we have like 41 assists. So there's something there. Yeah. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but we're like, we're not organized enough to play the style of basketball with the players that we have. And I think that, that this January stretch where there's going to be more chances to practice and like, this is a, a do or die, put up or shut up type of time on that respect. But that's super important to me is because these guys are not that naturally. They're not. And it's one of the reasons why there's a conversation to, to be had around all kinds of stuff that is like, and I'm using quotations here, like coaching related. Now, Darvin Ham mm-hmm. trends a lot on Twitter. The Lakers coach always does. Frank Vogel trended a lot. Luke Walton trended a lot. Whenever a Lakers team is not winning at the rate that someone thinks that they should, the fan base is so big that they're going to pop. Players trend a lot too. The things that you're talking about in in terms of organization, this to me is also a classic conflict of how much do you coach a great player who is an organizing force all on his own and how much do you rein in that player to say we're going to do things this way and dictate to them this is how we're going going to go right and so like some a player i think about a lot within this this regard is like Rajon Rondo and a coach i think about a lot within this regard is like Rick Carlisle Right. So Rick Carlisle is a very structured and organized coach. And he got along well with with Luka Doncic, too, until like he didn't. And now Rick Carlisle coaches the Pacers. But and they score a zillion points in part because he's so structured. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is he's a brilliant. brilliant guard within this this regard as well, is that he seems to be able to take to these ideas that the coach is presenting while also improvising at a certain level. Rondo was always one of those players that was just like, I know best. And he did this with Frank a lot, too. And Vogel sort of let him do it. And one of the things I appreciated about Frank, and I appreciate this about Darwin as well, is like he seems to let the players like commandeer things at times and be like, this is an idea that we think is going to work. And he will give them the space to play within those ideas. But when not everyone has the ability to f- have that executive function at like that such right. a high level, then how do you get all of those other players to be organized too? And that's the push and the pull, I think, when you're looking at these LeBron-led groups, because he can do it. Yes. But when he goes to the bench, these other guys need something Austin? That, Come on. that Austin Reeves isn't going to be able to do. And it's funny because I was going to write about this soon. So D'Lo sat against the Pelicans. Austin had nine assists, but he wasn't getting these nine assists in ways where you're just like, oh, he's this organizing principle. He picked out a handful of good options. He made good plays and he made the plays that were in front of him and he got nine assists. But it's like every possession I remember Austin playing in was almost always like an isolation, him hunting his own. And Teen Wolf mode, you call it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Teen Wolf. He was in Teen Wolf mode. And it's like the Lakers needed him to do that a certain extent, but it's just like, 
it was so over-indexed in that regard. But we don't have anything else with this with those groups, D. That's the problem is that, so for example, if you think about, there's this this line of thought that like Austin and D'Lo can't play together, which I would point to the the last year's playoffs that they can to at least some degree, right? I, uh, but obviously there are weaknesses in terms of foot speed and strength and athleticism that that duo, you know, certainly has weaknesses to it. But if you would just entertain the premise for a moment, how would they be good if they were good, right? Like what are they good at that they have in common that kind of kind of play off of each other? They're both combo guards. They can both shoot pass dribble. Not every bit, not every player checks all three of those boxes. And if they were a coordinated type of attack, that you could probably be very efficient with those two style of guards. And there are other small guard, not you know, super physical duos around the league that are very good and very productive in part because they're more coordinated. But when you have that style of offense where it's like LeBron, you're the center of our universe, AD, like you're, or LeBron and AD are are the centers of what we do and everything we run goes through them, which is not a bad idea at all. But if that's the way that you play and you don't have a coordinated attack behind that, and you're asking guys like Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell when LeBron or those, or AD is not involved in the play or whatever the case may be, that you're asking them to be the guy filling that LeBron role, of course it doesn't work. And if you look, I I bet you, if I, I'm going to do this one of these days, if you look at our point differential in the last six minutes of first quarters, it's like historically bad. I remember at one point earlier in the season, it was almost a point a minute that we were being outscored by, which is just unbelievable. And part of it is because that exact thing that you're talking about, D, is that we have that Rondo, because Rondo is this style of player too, very much like LeBron, different type of scorer, but in terms of a singular player that can commandeer a possession and go get you organized, he was that type of player. But asking Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell to do that, of course you're getting whooped. So let's take another break and, and keep the conversation going. I do want to talk a little bit about lineup construction stuff because this is a very hot button issue with the Lakers. In the last game, neither D'Lo nor Cam were available. And Darwin went back to the starting lineup with Rui in it. Before the game, he said that he anticipates this being the lineup moving forward. I'm not exactly sure if that's exactly what it's going to be, if like suddenly Cam isn't going to start anymore or not, but I guess we'll see when everyone's available again and the Lakers don't play again until Wednesday. Where are you at in terms of this being the group or these non-guard groups? Because you'll find a lot of people that are wondering, like, why isn't Austin in this first group? And is it a little bit galaxy brainy to say like, oh, well, we're going to go do this. And we've talked about the lineups a bunch and we've talked about the scheme shift within this as well. And I just sort of want to get your thoughts after you've seen it now for it's been five games or so. To answer that question first, I think the fact that the construction of the lineup is pretty much the exact opposite of how we started the season in terms of the guys other than LeBron, AD, and Prince obviously is a commonality between the other two. But going from D'Lo and Austin to Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt, you've taken two small guards. And and when I say small, I mean in terms of like physicality, right? Like they're they're both like 6'4", 6'5", but they're not strong. They're not like great athletes. And replace them with two power forward or 
power forward, small forward type of guys. Like you couldn't have a different lineup than you have. And this is part of the uh, just be normal thing that we always talk about in the text thread is like, we don't have to be unconventional all the time. And so I, in the context of us being 500, I totally understand the, what the hell are we doing to this? And, and, but I do think that I have, I like unconventional basketball to a degree because I think that that is part of how you win. I would argue that both the Warriors and the Nuggets, the last two champions, are teams that are built around singular players that you just kind of have to guard them differently than you guard any other team in the league. Like when you've got Steph and shooters and even a guy like Poole flying around the perimeter, there's nobody else that challenges you there the same way. With Denver, there's no other player like Jokic. I remember Vogel talking about how you need like a specific uh, Denver practice to be able to beat them because how they play basketball is so different. And so I don't automatic, I don't reflexively like push away unconventional type of lineups. They were, I thought they were very good in that, um, in that Minnesota game, although that, that was the cam version. Um, but this particular lineup in 19 minutes has a net rating of plus 17.4. So, Small sample size for sure, but they've been good. I think that Rui's foot speed and our defensive schemes within that are the biggest weakness that needs to be accounted for. Um, but I do think that having bigger type of groups out there is helpful. I, I do think that it need, there needs to be one guard and eventually Austin will be in there. But to the Austin point, Austin by far has the worst net rating on the team alongside LeBron and AD this season. I think that he's been a different player this year than he's been the last couple in terms of the types of things that he does. I think that if he goes back into accessing more of the role player type stuff to the taking the charges, like he was doing different things last year that made him one of the best plus minus guys on the team. Same with the year before that he's not as much that guy this year. And he's much more of the, the him version of himself and the teen wolf version of himself that there just isn't as much of that. And I think that's reflected in the plus minus that said, I do think you need a guard there, but there are a lot of coaches D that believe defensively that you're only as good as your weakest link on the floor. And if you want to play a switching style, which has not worked well for this particular starting group, if you wanted to play that way, you probably need five strong guys across the board. And I think that Austin doesn't quite fit that. So I get it on some level and it's been productive in a small sample, but overall, I think that eventually we're probably going to end up back at Austin. But where are you at on this? I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Austin's interview that he did on the J.J. Redick pod. No, I did not. J.J. had asked Austin about the path that he took to get to the Lakers, which has been well documented. Austin had a chance, I think, to get drafted by the Pistons in the 30s. But Austin did clarify that that second round draft opportunity was going to be to get drafted into a two-way and so he's like, if I'm going to be drafted into a two way, I'd much rather like get to choose my two way spot and like be a free right. agent rather than get drafted in to that. And then he talked again about how his agents had made a list and that the Lakers were very high on on that list. They were actually second right behind the Bucks, which is funny because Darvin would have been part of that Bucks team. Austin said that one of the things that he did when he got to the Lakers was I knew in order to play, and I think part of this was playing for Frank, but part of it in general was just like, this is how I'm going to get on the court, was like, I need to compete as hard as I can defensively. And so he said, my entire focus, that first training camp, and like that first season was basically just do everything I possibly can defensively. And he was like, I was taking charges. I was diving on the ground for loose balls. I was just running around playing as hard as I could on defense because and I it knew showed. 
Yes. He helped because, I because knew, he did that. Because I knew that's how I was going to get on the court. And to your point about Austin doing different things this season, he has accessed a part of his game that got him his contract. Right. And so one of the reasons why (laughs) Austin was a coveted free agent this offseason wasn't because he was some version of Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso makes the mid-level exception and Austin does, too. But if Austin wasn't a restricted free agent and he went right into the marketplace as a regular free agent, he probably would be making double what he makes now or close to it. He'd be in the 18 to 20 million dollar range. And part of that is because of those I'm him moments. It's that shot creation ability and that's ability to be like a strong side ball handling shot creator. Those skills matter for him to be able to play in the pick and roll, for him to be able to flirt with 50, 40, 90 and be like a 16 to 20 point scorer and on any given night get you 30. That's a super valuable player. What needs to happen, though, is that there does need to be a rebalancing of of his game. And part of what unlocks that is him being able to be a second side player more often. This goes back to some of the coaching stuff that you were hinting at at earlier. It's not just about organizing the players. It's about putting them in the best position to succeed within the context of five man groupings. And the interesting thing to me So even these big lineups that you're talking about, I think they could be even more successful if they played more conventional schemes. Totally agree. If they played in drop coverages more, if AD was hovering around the paint and you had all of these bigger players crashing down to rebound rather than like LeBron ending up in positions where he's still one of the only guys down there trying to fend off a big dude because AD got switched onto a guard. Right. And is now helping at the wing and... AD's responsibilities as a helper are like at the foul line or he's closing out on the shooter and he's not getting back to rebound at all because the right play to make after contesting the shot is to run through and hopefully get an outlet pass in order to get a dunk. So there's a lot of principle stuff where it's like the shape of the team, I think, is much better than what it was earlier during the season. I much prefer the physical. Yeah, we're closer. Yeah, but. In playing the more passive defensive schemes that they've been playing with these bigger groups, I think it's sort of like, oh, yeah, well, let's buy a big guard dog, but let's like keep them on the leash in the yard the whole time. Exactly. It's like like, yeah. it, like if the bur- <laughs> like if like if the burglar sees the big dog that's barking really loud, but he understands that his chain is only going to let him get so far. Well, guess what? He's going to go around the other way and be like, all right, dog, like you on the leash. And that's part of why I loved the start of the Minnesota game, D, was that was the version with Cam in it. And there's a big difference in foot speed between Cam and Rui, so I don't want to act like it's the same thing if Rui is in there instead. But they forced a ton of turnovers. They sped them up. They That starting group looked like they were outclassing a very good starting group by, by Minnesota, in part by doing exactly what you're talking about here and not being leashed. Well, also, too, it's just like part of the reason that they can switch more against a Minnesota team is also because like the player who sets the screen isn't a post threat. And also we didn't switch as much. They didn't after that first stretch. Right. But initially they were totally comfortable being like, Cam, you can go on Gobert or we'll scram you out of that. Or there's just yes, more yes, that yes. you can do. Right. And, and so I do think the best version of this team is going to have a skill guard in the starting lineup. Whether that skill guard is on the roster right now, I think is like another question to be had. And, and it's a topic for a future date in that bigger idea of what have we learned? 
about this team. I think we've learned that this version of the team is probably a level below what they need to be, even when they're all the way together and that they likely need some more reliable offensive players. And part of the reasons why they're not as good on offense is because the nights where they have 41 assists is those are the nights the shots are going down and those are the nights that they're playing with more activity. And those are the nights where it's just like LeBron and AD both look good. And then one of the skill guards looks good. And then Rui's making shots and it's just like, okay, well, now there's just too many guys for you to guard on the other end. And on the nights where they look bad on offense, Austin's three for 10 and D'Lo is one for four. And why does D'Lo only have four shots if he's coming off the bench to be a scorer? And there's all of these things that cumulatively add up to you not to being like so much lesser than the sum of your parts. That's like, what are we actually doing here with these lineups? And that's what are these groups? That's when it's easy to point at the groups and be like, what are these? And finding that middle ground is going to be super important because if they don't, then it's over for this team. Very much so. And I think that I see there being two different roster needs, and we'll talk about this more as time goes on, but they're kind of different from each other. And what we were talking about earlier about one or two high IQ vets that that know how to play, I think would be very helpful on this team. But I also think that if you're going to play this style of basketball where it's like, there's one guy on the floor that is sort of what your whole world revolves around. Neither D'Lo nor Austin are good enough to be that type of guy on the perimeter. And when you're asking a big guy to do it, like they can't pass themselves the ball. Um, and so I think that those are the two needs is like one guy that you can give the ball to that is more of an organizing force that like, oh yeah, he's going to get us good shots by the force of his individual talents. But those are not the same player, right? Like the idea that a, yeah. a couple of high IQ role players and then a go give him the ball type of score are not the same thing. And so that's actually a decent amount of, of team needs. It's interesting because you can also split the difference there. And if you make a consolidation trade for the guy that you're talking about, which is the higher end player, then players are then more naturally slotted into their better positions in which the potential exactly. for them to be better versions of themselves with more opportunity to play, then you can get there. One of the things that I noticed with those end of first quarter groups is there's nobody to like break down the defense a lot of times in the first place. Like you look at the on the court, it's like, hey, all five of these guys are good offensive players, but there's nobody to create the initial advantage in the first place where to your point, if there were, you have a lot of finishers that would be able to capitalize on those type of plays. But if that advantage doesn't happen in the first place, you don't get there. Yeah. So there's a lot of team need stuff that we'll get into at another date. These are team needs too that aren't solved by mm-hmm. Gabe Vincent. There's not a downhill player on this roster outside of LeBron and AD. Cam Mm -hmm. does it some, but he's like not a good enough finisher. And he is that first wave where it's just like his best attribute as a driver is probably just to get the ball up on the glass while washing out the big guy who's contesting the shot. That's part of the unconventional basketball that I like, by the way, that I think there's, we did some cool second wave stuff against Minnesota where like Vando fits this style of offense as well. Yep. Like if you're, if you just need a battering ram to get the big guy out of the way, you can, you can do that. But that style of play also has a ceiling to it. Yeah. There's only so much that, that you can do with that. <sighs> The the interesting thing is, is like, I think the overall tenor around like the fan base or, or even outside and the list around the team is I think that this version of LeBron and AD are still so, so dangerous that you could never count the Lakers out. But I think what's come into focus is that 
this group of role players isn't necessarily good enough within the context of A, the way that they're being used or B, just in general about like what their ceiling is as a player. Like, I think if you were to objectively zoom out and say, okay, two of your starters are Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt or Cam Reddish and Torian Prince, are you winning the NBA championship? The answer to that is probably- Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, the answer to that is probably no. Right. And so the next three players who make the next amount of money after LeBron and AD have all been moved to the bench. And it's just like if that's how you're allocating your resources, then the odds of you being the best version of yourself, if all of those players are bench players now, is probably low. And I get the idea of building your roster about being big and physical and starting these bigger guys. But the flip side of that is, is you've got close to $35 million and like a skill guard sitting on the bench and the clamoring Pete of like, this team needs a skill guard. Those guards are on the roster, but they are now reserves again. And don't get me wrong. I'm not clamoring for either of them to like start. Like I'd like Austin to start just because I think like you're going to get the best version of him playing with these specific players. I think the way to support Austin best is the same way you support LeBron and AD, which is like give him shooting, give him motor around him, give him guys who can cover for him defensively, and then also pair him with LeBron as much as you can, because that's that's how you're going to get the best of him. But this team needs to find its way, and I think they need to find it both from a rotation standpoint and from a schematic standpoint. And it's like they seem closer in some ways and further away in others, and that's the tricky part of where the team is right now. Yeah, no, it's a lot of the coaching decisions that were made at the beginning of the season did not pan out, and now we're searching for answers. And so, um, going to be a big January for this Lakers team. We will be back tomorrow to discuss more. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. 
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.